I want to do something just a little bit different today. I want to actually set before you a whole letter of Paul's. The letter of 1 Thessalonians. Now, I'm going to read a smaller portion of that. But I just want to lay this whole letter out for you and, and kind of share with you some thoughts on being committed or, or committing ourselves to thankfulness. Um, Thessalonica was the largest city and capital of Macedonia. And Paul had gone there on his second missionary trip. He and Silas and Timothy were actually compelled to leave Philippi after Paul and Silas were imprisoned. And so they went to Thessalonica. But they also had to leave Thessalonica. Acts 17.10 says, immediately, by night, they had to get out of Thessalonica. And if we go to the book of Acts to kind of see what was going on during this time period, uh, Paul was actually at Corinth. And Silas and Timothy had been left behind at Macedonia, which would be Thessalonica and that area. And they came to Paul while he was at Corinth. And they came bringing good news. Uh, Paul will write here in 1 Thessalonians that that good news was the good news of your faith and your love and also your hope. Although the hope had been shaken. Uh, And so they're reminded uh, that Paul was remembering them and that they had remembered Paul kindly and they longed to see him. And so it is that he begins this letter to them uh, with a word of thanksgiving. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction. I want to go back and look at one of the phrases uh, in that passage. Your work of faith. Faith is not something we just have in our heads. Faith is not just something we believe conceptually. Faith, biblically speaking, is better understood in terms of the idea of faithfulness, loyalty, trust. And we do not know faith apart from its outworkings. Isn't that what James says? You show me your faith without works, and I'll show you by what I do what I believe my faith. But then also... A labor of love. And again, 
James, what does it? What good does it do if you say to the person in need, "Go, be well, be warm," and you don't do anything about it? Love has to have action involved behind behind it as well, doesn't it? I mean, uh, we we have kids that are off in school in a way. Uh, it wouldn't do much good if whenever they called, we said, "Well, you know, I know that's how life is, and we love you." Hope things get better, click. No, we've got to put some labor into that love as well. Now their hope had been shaken, and we're going to come back to that. But the point is, is that First Thessalonians is a letter of thanksgiving. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 to 10, Paul explains his reasons for sending Timothy back to that congregation and then his own experience of relief and joy in learning from Timothy about how they're doing. But verse 6 of the chapter that we just read, chapter 3, makes it clear that he wrote this letter as soon as Timothy got back. And the reason he did so was there was an issue that bothered him. And so, when we think about him writing this letter, as soon as Timothy gets back to Corinth, we know that this letter was written as early as 50 to 51 A.D. Now think about that. Jesus was probably crucified in 30 A.D. 20 years is all. I can remember with detail all kinds of things that happened 20 years ago. Not that long ago. In fact, 20 years ago was when our youngest child was born. Time goes so quickly. And here we are, just 20 years following that. Paul's already been on a missionary journey. And he's on his way back, basically, And this is a young church, a baby church, an infant church. And so, Paul wants to make sure that after the from and to of the beginning of the letter, which was common in Greek letters of that day, he wanted to give them uh, not only a wish of thanksgiving, a wish of well-being, but he also wanted an issue of prayer for them, a prayer of thanksgiving. And in fact... Paul does that not once, not twice, but three times. We read the first of those in chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. He does it again in chapter 2, verse 13, and again in chapter 3, verses 9 to 13. And that first Thanksgiving that we read in verses 2 to 5 of chapter 1 is the typical way a letter begins with some kind of a give thanks. But notice... Notice Paul's emphasis. Normally there would be a purpose clause right after that thanksgiving. But Paul saves that till later. He saves that until actually chapter 3, verses 9 to 13 in his third thanksgiving. Uh, and, and so the reason why is their hope had been shaken. On his return to Paul, Timothy had reported 
that in spite of Paul's absence, and in spite of the persecution that was going on that those Christians were enduring, they were remaining true to the gospel, but, I'm getting my buttons mixed up back here, for my laptop versus the screen. The news of their faithfulness and the faithfulness of the converts inspired him. But listen, death, the resulting bereavement from death, those had happened in this meantime already. And those are very poignant experiences. No matter how firm our faith is, and no matter how well we might be doing with a lot of things, when we have the loss of a relative or a friend, it causes us to, to have an emotional shock. Uh, we, we have those feelings even when it's the loss of someone that was a part of our group that's not related by blood. Dr. Leighton Ford was an evangelist and uh, a guru in church leadership. And in 1982, he and his wife lost their oldest son, Sandy. He was only 21 years of age. It was a tough time for, for Leighton Ford. And in one of his books that I had back on my shelf, he wrote, referring to his wife, his, the, the work his wife and he and his wife were doing in that time period. He wrote, The struggle is to bring our faith and our emotions together. To bring our faith and our emotions together. Because death prompts anguished questions about those who had died. What has happened to them? Are they all right? Will we see them again? One of the hardest things I have to do as a minister is to do the funeral service of someone who is related to a church member who showed no indication in their life that they had anything to do with the Lord or the church or anything. Because I don't want to give them a a sense of false hope. I don't want them thinking, well, okay, we're going to see them again someday. The life didn't show that evidence. And Paul had evidently taught them that the Lord Jesus was going to reappear. And He was going to do that in order to take His people to Himself. And they seem to have been expecting Him so soon that some of them had given up their jobs while others were totally unprepared since relatives and friends of theirs had now died before Christ's return. They hadn't anticipated that. And in the surprise and in the disturbance, they were questioning how would the Christian dead fare when Jesus came for His own? Would they stand at a disadvantage because they weren't still alive to, to meet Him in the air? Would they miss the blessings? Were they even lost? And their hope was shaken. They weren't at peace. And so we find both in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, beginning and ending, 
with a concern for peace. Even the ability to maintain peace with outsiders, with unbelievers, is desirable. And Paul encouraged the behavior that would win the respect of others that were outsiders. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 12. But the absence of conflict is not always attainable. So, these two letters, Paul warned the church that persecution, persecution by evil and faithless people was inevitable. And if we as believers are to have peace, it must somehow be found even while experiencing persecution and suffering. I'm going to be honest with you, one of the hardest things that I've had to do over the last several months is try to maintain a positive attitude. Try to maintain an attitude that somehow what we can do in terms of ministry is still fulfilling and rewarding and meeting the needs of those who are members of the congregation going through these tough times. And that's why not once but twice you find Paul repeating these same words. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. The first time he uses it, it had to do with the second coming. Christ hasn't returned, he said. And when he comes back, the dead will rise first. Don't be upset. Listen to the words of D. Michael Martin. Uh, Here's what he says. He says, Knowledge of such truths does not make suffering disappear. Nor does it mean that suffering is good or should be sought. But suffering is is tolerable when it has purpose. When something of value is gained by it. A sufferer gains comfort in the comradeship of shared suffering and can give thanks in all circumstances given the knowledge that the suffering will eventually give way to victory and reward. Peace is a result, an enduring and genuine sense of well-being even in the midst of distress. And so it is that Paul as he's concluding the first letter, giving his final instructions and his benediction says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. And I'm going to tell you what, that, to put it in an old colloquialism, that ain't easy. To give thanks in all circumstances. No matter how tough it's gotten. No matter how bad things are. And that's why today I just wanted to to focus on this idea of committing ourselves to thankfulness. Are we truly thankful? And I've chosen as a part of the text that I want to read, verses 11 to 22 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Just as you're doing. 
We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you see what God wants us to do? Rejoice always. Continually be in prayer. Pray without ceasing. And to give thanks in all circumstances. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word. Now, let me repeat that phrase one more time. And I, and I don't mean to belabor a point, but give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God. And you know what? Sometimes that isn't always easy. Uh, in fact, sometimes... Things might just be downright bad. But still, we need to be looking for something to be thankful for. And there is always something positive for which we can be thankful. The story is told of a woman who one day during a snowstorm, Susan was outside shoveling her driveway. And she stopped to wave hello to the neighbor and he asked her, a little sarcastically, why her husband wasn't out there helping with the chore. And she explained that one of them had to stay inside to take care of their four elementary age children. So they drew straws to see who would go out and shovel. And the man said, sorry about your bad luck. And Susan replied, bad luck? Don't be sorry, I won. (laughs) Give thanks in all circumstances. You know, Dale Robbins writes, I used to think people complained because they had a lot of problems. But I've come to realize that they have problems because they complain. Complaining doesn't change anything or make situations better. It amplifies frustration. It spreads discontent and discord. And it can involve an invitation for the devil to cause havoc with our lives. In other words, what Dr. Rollins was saying is, complaining makes us miserable. And you know what? In the King James Version, I don't always go back to the King James Version, but I do in this case because the, the way it's translated just catches the sense, the, the setting, the context of the 77th Psalm. Psalm 77.3 says, I complained 
and my spirit was overwhelmed. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul there is saying, do all things with, without grumbling or disputing or complaining. Do you know where Paul is when he wrote Philippians? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are known as the prison epistles. He wrote them while he was a prisoner. And I'm not going to tell you conditions in prison today are good. They're not. I've got a letter, a book of letters from Owen Crouch to his daughter Lorna talking about different situations that took place. But I'm going to tell you this, prison in Paul's day was much, much worse. And he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. A positive, thankful person is a great witness in a dark world. And we only shine when we're thankful, when we live it, when we express it. Instead of looking at the negatives in our lives and complaining, we need to be looking at all of the positives and give thanks. And I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself as much when I say this. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I have three simple thoughts about Thanksgiving that I've actually borrowed from a friend of mine, Steve Shepard. Uh, I like these three thoughts. And they're simply this. We have it so good, we enjoy it so much, and we express it so little. And that's where I want to go today. We enjoy it, we have it so good. First. First Timothy 6.17 Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world. Now I'm going to tell you what, we're much richer in our present world than they were. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who provides richly, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Where'd you come from? How poor were you when you were a child? I was pretty poor and didn't even realize it. I didn't realize when Dad was going to school and ministering down in southwest Illinois that if it had not been for the local chicken man bringing by some chicken and the local fish man bringing by some fish and the orchard bringing down some, some apples and uh, I, I didn't realize that if it hadn't been for those we would have not had a whole lot to eat. In fact, I tell the story often, my mom was somewhat naive and she told one of the ladies one day, she just can't believe how many chickens they have at that ranch that have broken legs that they can't sell. And one of the other ladies said, Burl, he breaks those legs on purpose because he knows you won't want to accept it if he doesn't have a reason. They came and they brought us things as the minister's family. 
And that helped us get by because there were three of us plus a child that my mom and dad took in that was in much worse circumstances. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. I heard the joke. I wasn't going to tell it, but I decided to anyway. I heard the joke that somebody said we were so poor, my mom and dad took us to to Kentucky Fried Chicken just so we could lick other people's fingers. <laughs> you know, the average Filipino makes $1,040 a year American money. Can you imagine? Americans are rich. Have you ever been to one of those massive flea markets? The kind where you couldn't see the whole thing in one day if you wanted to? And what is all that stuff? People's surplus junk that they're trying to sell to somebody else. So it can be their surplus junk, I guess. I don't know. We're rich. In fact, our poor in our country are rich compared to those living in the rest of the world. I'm so thankful to God for all the things that He's given me and my family. And most of the time I feel I don't deserve what He's given to me. But God is good. And He wants us to enjoy His blessings. And the truth of the matter is is that we all have it so good. But you know what? The problem is we enjoy it too much. Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy? Not to be arrogant. Not to put our hope in our wealth. You know, we're a crazy lot. We'll do almost anything to have fun, but then complain because we can't find enough energy to get out of bed to get up and go to church on Sunday morning. I once heard Chuck Swindoll say, we are often so caught up in our activities that we tend to worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. Worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. Listen. See if you think it might apply. Paul wrote to young Timothy in chapter in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He wrote this. He said, "But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days." And he goes on to say that people would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And he says, "Have nothing to do with them." And I would contend that that's exactly the world that we're living in. The truth of the matter is is that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment and we enjoy it way too much. According to a 2018 medical bulletin, a significant percentage of children are taking in too much TV, video games, and enjoying too much the food as well, especially the unhealthy fast foods. And so what it's done is it's, it's created a, a whole society 
of people that are struggling with issues of obesity and overweightness. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from God, and it's alright to enjoy the blessings of God, but not to the point where that becomes our main focus. So that we tend to focus on the gifts rather than on the giver. Many of you have heard, as I did growing up, that moderation is the key. Too much can be too much, even if it's too much of a good thing. It can quickly destroy a person in in many different ways. And we tend to, to want more and more. I think I've shared this before, but Rockefeller when he was in fact the richest man in the world, was being interviewed. And they asked him, at what point did you feel like you had enough money and wealth? And Rockefeller very honestly answered, I don't know, I don't feel like I've ever gotten there. The wealthiest man in the world at that time. That craving... Craving for more. It captures our minds. It captures our wills. And the lust for more material things and and more pleasure dominates and controls our lives to the point where God is put on the sidelines or pushed out completely. Paul again wrote to Timothy, the love of money, and I think we could include the love of pleasure as well, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's, in, it's okay to enjoy the blessings of God. But we've got to make sure it doesn't become the main focus. And that's why that third point then becomes we express it so little. We express it so little. I love Charlie Brown. Anybody else a Charlie Brown fan? I see some nods. Uh, you might remember this one. It was a Thanksgiving one. That's why it caught my attention. Snoopy's looking at his food bowl. How about that? Everyone's eating turkey today, but just because I'm a dog, I get dog food. Of course, it might have been worse. I could have been born a turkey. (laughs) Life isn't fair. And as he stared there and looked at that dog food bowl, the reality came upon him. Things can always be worse. And you know, whenever we think life is unfair to us, We need to think again about how we could have been born and raised in some third world country where people have little or nothing. This week I looked at pictures of relief items that were taken to a family in Myanmar that had lost everything. You know what it was? Cooking utensils and bags of rice. And their faces were just beaming 
with thankfulness and thanksgiving. Instead of thinking about how little we have, just like the song that we sang, we need to be counting up our blessings, naming them, giving them names one by one, not just getting up in the morning or saying at a meal, oh, God, thank you for everything you've given to us, but just actually starting to name some of them. Father, thank you that even though our family member had an accident, it was minor and nobody was hurt. Thank you so much for that. Thank you that even though things have been a little tough, that little bit extra came in, uh, even if it was a bag of onions. You know, a bag of onions can make really good onion soup. But sometimes we focus on the tears of the onions rather than the nourishment that can be obtained. What if you woke up tomorrow and the only thing that you had was what you thank God for today? I've said that before. I'll probably say it again. Because I think it's something that we need to think about and remind ourselves about often. What are we thankful for? My friend Steve, he said he was thankful for the taxes he paid because it meant he was employed. Stories told of a young man who was feeling very proud of himself. And as a brand new college graduate, he had taken the CPA exams and passed with flying colors. And now he was a full-fledged certified public accountant. His father had been an immigrant to the U.S. And now he owned his own little business. Filled with self-importance, the young man began to criticize his father and his father's way of keeping the books. He said, Dad, you don't even know how much you pro profit you've made. Over here in this drawer are your accounts receivable. Over there are your receipts. And you keep all your money in the cash register. You don't have any idea how much money you've made. And the father answered him, Son, when I came to this country, the only thing I owned was a pair of pants. Now, your brother is a doctor. Your sister is an art teacher. And you are a CPA. Your mother and I own our own home. We have a car and we own this little business. Now, add that up. Subtract the pants and the rest is profit. And that's exactly what we need to do this Thanksgiving. Add it all up. We came into this world with nothing but the eternal soul that God gave us. Everything else is profit. We can never give too much thanks to God. So let me repeat one last time in closing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Let's pray.